Welcome to Church of the Apostles. I'm glad you guys could be here with us this morning. Um, as always, when we start our worship, we want to focus our hearts and our minds on the Lord and why we're here. And so this morning, I just want to read a section from Psalm 146. And basically, this is a song to the God of compassion. It says, Hallelujah, my soul praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles, in man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground, and on that day his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners and the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Let's pray. Father, we do come this morning just to celebrate you, our God, who is a God of compassion, who is a God that is sovereign over all things. You, you bring deliverance to the poor and the oppressed. You bring hope to those who are heavy burdened. Uh, Father, you bring healing to each one of us in the various places of brokenness that we find ourselves. And so, Lord, we rejoice in those promises, in those truths. And, Father, we come this morning to celebrate those things, to celebrate you, our great deliverer and our great king. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that as we gather that you would be pleased by the things that take place here. The words that we sing, not only to one another, but to you. Uh, Father, the words of your scriptures that we open and we, and we read and we, uh, Lord, we long to hear your voice. Father, we, we, again, we just pray that these would be things that point us towards you and give you great delight and make much of who you are. And we just pray all these things in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Luke uh, chapter 14, uh, verses 7 through 14. And Jesus told a parable to those who were invited, and when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place, because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is God's word. Good morning. 
I'm glad you're here with us this morning. We're going to pick up on a series that we started last week. As I mentioned, if you were here last week, it's a, it's a real short series. We're just doing three weeks, and we're really looking at the idea of justice, God's justice, and, and what he wants for us as his people, and, and really mixed up in that idea, and we're going to go a little further today, just the idea of justice and mercy and what that means and how we look at that. And uh, Last week, we looked at the Old Testament. We looked at a passage from Micah, as we talked about it, Micah 6, 8. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But this morning, we're going to really look at this idea of justice through the life of Jesus. What did Jesus' life look like when we look at this that we're talking about? And so as we do that, and as we're starting this morning, I just want to remind you when we look uh, just from a couple passages before we even begin. When we look at Jesus, what we're saying, Hebrews 1.3 says this, He being Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Or Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And again in John 1 it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word is talking about Jesus. It says, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and there was nothing made that he didn't make that Jesus wasn't part of in creation. So when we look at Jesus' life and the way he lived and the way he did justice and mercy and what that looks like, we are seeing what God looks like, what he cares about, the way he sees justice. Because when we see Jesus, we see God. When we confess that, we say that here, we believe Jesus Christ was not just a good teacher or a good man or someone who we should give some... uh, deference to his teaching, but we believe he is actually God in human form. So when we look at the way Jesus went and what he did and what he said, I just want that to be fresh in our minds. So we start that way this morning. Last week I mentioned, I said that uh, last week we spent time in Micah 6, 8, which is a pretty well-known verse. It just says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness. And the word kindness could be mercy there as well. And to walk humbly with your God. And as we looked at that last week, we kind of took the two ways that we see justice played out over and over in Scripture. And what we saw was justice is, uh, in, in the case of Micah's passage there, justice is speaking up for those that are being taken advantage of, that aren't being treated equally. When we see things that are not just, they're not doing right, we're not treating all people the same way, we're supposed to stand up and say so. So this idea of corrective justice. But then we also looked last week at the idea of righteousness throughout Scripture, which also has a strong connotation of justice with it. And what we said with righteousness is that you're living right living with God and right living with other people. And if we were to live righteously, as we're called as the church, as we're called as people made in God's image, to live rightly with him, if we did that, there would be no need for corrective justice. But we have corrective justice because we're sinners And we're fallen, and so there's lots of times we mess up. So we need both of those, and we need to see that completely. So this morning, as we look at Jesus' life, should be no uh, surprise, but we see Jesus living perfectly the command of Micah 6.8. And we see this imperfect balance. Now, Jesus himself was not sinful, so his corrective justice and the way he looks to correct wrongs is not because of his own sin, but because of the sin of the world. And we see him moving and working in that way. And so this morning we're going to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along with us, it's actually printed on the back of your bulletin in the same uh, English standard version that I'm going to be reading from. So you can follow along exact words, all the same things. But let me set the uh, scene for you before we jump into Matthew 25. Matthew 24 and 25 take place in the last week of Jesus' life. Um, actually, they take place on the Tuesday before he'd be crucified on Friday. 
And this, this particular passage is it's a pretty famous text. It's known as the, the Olivet Discourse. They're, they're meeting on the Mount of Olives and Jesus is teaching and he's telling the disciples, he's been telling them, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be killed. All these things are happening. And they're asking about his return, the second coming of Christ. They ask these questions. So Jesus goes into this lengthy teaching about all the things that will happen and what to look for and what it'll be like and all these things. And he kind of ends here in Matthew 25 with this uh, very weighty text that we're looking at this morning. It's a, it's the judgment. It's when Christ returns and we stand before him in judgment. And that's what he's saying here. This is what it'll be like. And he's telling his disciples. So Matthew 25, we're going to look at 31 to 46. So let's read that together. It says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and the angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister you to you? Then he will answer to them. Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will enter eternal life. Let's pray and then we're going to look at that uh, passage together. Dear Lord, we just confess this morning, as we always do when we open your word, that uh, without your spirit, uh, we are hopelessly lost. So we just ask that uh, your spirit would move freely in this place this morning, that you would come and you would guide us in all truth, that you would show us. Uh, what you want from your, uh, from us in your word, that you would guide us in that. I pray that uh, the things that I say this morning would be in accord with your word and pleasing and honoring to you. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as we begin, we're going to look at this, this passage. I want to look uh, kind of three things we're going to look at, and this is the way we're going to do it. First, how did Jesus himself live, Jesus' own example? Then secondly, how are we to live as his followers? And we're going to do that by looking at this passage. And then thirdly, what's the correct motivation of all this? How do we get the motivation right? As scripture always says, God always says the way Jesus always talks as he goes, he cares just as much about our motivation and our heart as our actions. So we need to make sure we have that part right as well. So before we even really hit Matthew 25 here this morning, I just want us to think for a moment about Jesus's example, his uh, the way he lived his life, the way he walked, where he went, who he spent time with. And that example, I want us to think about just tracing his footsteps, because I think when we do, we begin to see perfect balance of what we were talking about last week in Micah 6, 8. 
and a few other Old Testament passages. And we see that we see this perfect balance of, of mercy and justice. You know, last week we really spent most of our time on the idea of justice, giving people what they deserve. That is, we treat all people equally. It doesn't matter who they are or where they came from. They're all the same in God's eyes. They're all made in his image. We should treat them as such. And we were going through that, but we left out a little bit part of that. Oftentimes we put the two together of justice and mercy. And we did mention last week, justice has to flow out of a merciful love. But there's also just this idea of mercy. You know, justice, we could say, is giving people what they deserve. Mercy would be giving people what they don't deserve. And it's both. It's both and. And you see it in Jesus's life and the way he goes about uh, the way he deals with people. Oftentimes when we deal with issues of justice, there's not a clear line of what they deserve and what they don't deserve. Or, or if it is, it all gets intermingled and the, the two become so close together. And when we look at scripture, it tells us we're supposed to be merciful. We're, we're to extend grace when people have wronged us. We're supposed to forgive them. We're supposed to work together in those ways and love one another despite what they deserve oftentimes. And so I want us just to have that full balance of both sides of that this morning. And I do want to just say this just as a matter of basic principle of what Scripture teaches. We need to make sure we have this correct. You know, we are to help. We are to give mercy. We're to help people. Oftentimes you'll be taken advantage of when you do that, especially in a sinful world, when you keep giving someone mercy and you keep doing it. But the Scripture has a balance. There is a balance there. You don't just endlessly go on giving and giving and giving in certain situations. If you're being taken advantage of, it's unloving to keep doing and letting them keep taking advantage of you because you're not helping the person. And so there's this balance there. And but, but what I want to say about that before we move on is you keep giving that mercy. You keep doing that when you're unsure. We err on the side of grace when we're not really sure if the person's taking advantage of us or not. We err on the side of grace. And we let God sort that out and we keep loving people. And by the way, when I say uh, keep extending mercy and how you deal with that, that doesn't mean you keep loving the people. It just means the way that you do it may be a little different because it would be true. It would be unloving not to call somebody when they're taking advantage of it and they're and they're doing that. So that's just a way of, of, of introduction here, because I want us to see both sides of that, that mercy and the justice as we're looking at Jesus's life. You know, Jesus's day is not all that different from ours. There's a lot of cultural things that were different, but a lot of the issues that existed in his day are the same things that exist today. There was a, a great deal of sexism in Jesus's world, racism. Uh, there was a class system. There was a patronage system. That is, you uh, you you had parties and you got stuff done by knowing wealthy people and having them throw you parties and getting connected. Not all that different than the way the business world works a lot of times today. And so you had all these things where there's a lot of injustice going on and a lot of kind of backhanded things happening. A lot of people not treated equally. And so Jesus, when he enters into the world, when God walks among us, he walks into a very unjust world and lots of things happening. And what we see through his life is the way that he he balances this. He shows perfect justice and mercy with everyone he comes into contact with and the way he deals with them. Remember, when we see Jesus, we are seeing God himself and God is perfect justice. So it's not a surprise that when we see Jesus life, we see that played out perfectly. And so what we get is Jesus comes in and I want you just to think about Jesus's own life and where he came from and his own beginnings. I think oftentimes we forget or maybe we just kind of skim over it. We get to the heart of Jesus's teachings and which which we should. And that's that's where we always want to be going. But we forget sometimes that Jesus came from very humble beginnings himself. 
We don't know the age that it happened, but we do know that uh, Jesus's earthly father, Joseph, passed away at some point in there. So he was raised at least for part of his life as a widow. And he came from a very small town, very uh, not uh, very poor, actually, just the, the beginnings that we see Jesus coming from. And I think it's interesting to even think about the, the beginnings that he started with and where he came from. But then I want us to really think about just who, who he uh, when we follow Jesus in the Gospels, his, his personal, uh, his public uh, ministry, what we see and who he spends time with. And I want you to even think about uh, the disciples. His own disciples that he picked to come and spend all his time with that he poured into for three years. And he picks mostly fishermen who are very uh, low on the socioeconomic uh, the class system. He picks some very humble guys to come with him. Not only that, he picks uh, a very zealous political guy and Simon the Zealot. Most scholars think that he was all about fired up about taking down Rome and he was a very political extreme guy. So he's got him and then he's got Matthew, who's a tax, tax collector. Tax collectors uh, were probably the most hated in that society. Most took advantage of the people they were collecting from. And so he had this real interesting, eclectic group of people from all different walks of life. But none of them were the cream of the crop. None of them were, oh, that's the guys that Jesus would pick to have that you would think in earthly terms. And so he, he walks with this group of people. But not only that, I want you to think about where he goes and who he talks to and the way he interacts with people. The people that Jesus addresses that he comes to oftentimes are those on the fringe of the society, people that you wouldn't normally talk to. Uh, I immediately thought of as I was thinking about this this week in John 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who's had five husbands, who's working on number six. She's a total mess. Not only that, she's a woman. Jesus being a Jewish rabbi in that culture, you wouldn't speak to a woman publicly. Um, but he goes and he speaks to her. Add on top of that, she's a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans absolutely, completely and totally hated each other. And so Jesus goes and he walks right in and we start to see this played out, what justice looks like. Treating people equally, caring for them. And he goes right to this woman and he talks to her in public as if you read that account in John, it tells us the disciples come back and they're astonished that he's even talking to her. And so Jesus is doing corrective justice just in the way he interacts with people and the way he talks with them and what he does. It's not a perfect example, but a modern day equivalent would be kind of like Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, maybe going into a segre segregated restaurant in the South in the 1950s and eating with a black man. He's correcting what's happening in the society just by the way he's acting. And he's doing that with the Samaritan woman. And you see that wherever he goes. Uh, you see it in the, the inner group that's, that's following Jesus. The women that are with him all the time included a prostitute. He spends time with, uh, oftentimes he's called a drunkard and a sinner because of who he's going and dealing with and talking with all the time. And you see that all throughout his life. You see that uh, not just uh, prostitutes and the things that he's, he's dealing with, but you see uh, in one of his most famous parables, uh, that of the Good Samaritan, Jesus makes the hero of it the Samaritan man, the hated guy that all the Jews couldn't, couldn't get along with, that they looked down on. They thought they were awful. They were horrible. They were so bad. They couldn't even deal with them. And Jesus tells them this story about loving your neighbor and being kind, and then he makes him the hero in the story. And you can almost see just when he's telling that story, you think about that story and he gets to the end and he says, and it was the Samaritan who did this. And he's correcting their thinking, even in the way he tells his stories. And so you see it all throughout his life and the way he goes. There's not a hint 
of favoritism anywhere. None. Everywhere he goes and everyone he talks to, he treats them all the same way. And he does that. You see it in not only just the way he's coming to them. Uh, Another example is the children wanting to come to Jesus. And the disciples say, no, 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 we don't have time for that. That's not important. And Jesus says, sure, we have time for that. And he treats the children equally. He gives his time to the children and he spends time with them. But you see it not only just in who he talks to and what he's what he's saying to them and the way he goes to them, but but what he's actually doing. We see Jesus going and healing physical needs. We see him uh, meeting the people's immediate needs. We see him feeding people. You've got the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 both recorded for us in the gospel. He, he miraculously feeds great numbers of people. Not only that, the, the physical healings, when you start to look at who he heals and what's going on, you've got the Canaanite woman, the, the kind of the outcast. You've got him healing the Roman soldiers uh, son, you've got him healing pretty much everybody, all that comes through. You've got him going to the leper, total outcast of society that no one would be near. No one would touch them. Not only does Jesus heal the leper, he comes to the man that says he touched him. Right? You didn't touch lepers for fear of getting leprosy. You didn't go near them. But Jesus goes right to him and lays his hands on him and touches him. You know, it's often said when you read commentaries around that passage, they'll say that he may not have been touched for years and years. And so you see Jesus living out this justice and this mercy everywhere he goes. And they're always so intertwined. I said that at the beginning about the justice and the mercy, what people deserve, what they don't deserve. Think of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Her reputation, her poor reputation among her friends and the people that knew her was well earned. You could say she deserved her reputation, but yet Jesus goes right to her and he extends mercy And the justice he's speaking out. And so you see this all the way through his life, whether it's dealing with Romans or Canaanites or Samaritans or the Jewish, all across cultural lines, whether it's the rich or the poor or whoever he's dealing with, he's he's equally dealing with all of them. And so when we look at his example, we see that perfect justice and perfect mercy poured out in perfect balance everywhere he goes. And that's just who God is. And so when we see Jesus, we see God. And so now I want you to think about that. I'm getting to the Matthew 25. That's kind of a long introduction to get to this. But I want you to think about Jesus' disciples who've been walking with him for three plus years now. Everywhere he goes, they go. They're together. They're seeing him teaching. They've seen him do all these things all along the way. And so when they say, what is it going to be like when you return? And Jesus gets to Matthew 25 and he tells them verses 34 to 40. Do you think there is any surprise at all from the disciples that Jesus says this is what it will look like? Of course not. They've seen this. They've seen this lived out for perfect, perfectly for years. And as a disciples, disciple meant in their culture is that you try to become uh, complete and total discipline to your teacher. You try to become just like your teacher. And so when Jesus says this is what it looks like, and read that with me again, just with that in mind, verses 34 to about uh, 37 there. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And it says the last, well, when did we do that, Lord? And he says, then in verse 40, the king will answer, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And that's a perfect picture of the way Jesus lives. 
and the way he lived his life and what he did. And you see that played out there. So what does it look like for us as followers of Christ to put your faith in Jesus? You've you've gotten through grace what Christ has done for you. He's come into your life and he begins uh, to dwell inside of you in his spirit. We say we're becoming uh, Christ. We're we're becoming like him each and every day. So what does it look like? Is it looks like is that we we begin to love other people and we speak up for those that are taken advantage of and those that are not treated equally. We speak up when that's happening. And then in our relationships, we treat people equally no matter who they are or where they came from. And we start to do that and we start to see that. We speak up for those who can't. We speak out against racism in any form, in any place, because that's the way God, God created all men in his image. doesn't matter where they're from. doesn't matter what color their skin is. We're supposed to speak up for those things and all those. So we're supposed to not only that, but kind of what we talked about last week, when we see atrocities in the world and injustice as being done, we can't just sit here and let it happen. When people are dying, which is which is the case right now this morning, there's thousands and thousands of people dying because of where they were born and nothing else. That's what's happening in Africa right now. Children are dying over and over by the thousands because they don't have water. And it just happens to be where they were born. And so when we see those things and we become followers of Christ and we understand that this is who God is, we begin to speak up. We look for ways to do that. We look for ways to to begin to speak into those things. Now, that becomes very hard. And I hit on that just briefly last week when we think about how huge some of the problems in the world are. When you think about the drought that's happening in Africa, well, what can I do as a single person? How do I do that? Well, we talked about how we can pool together as a body of believers, and we're already doing that. As a church, we're doing that. We're helping give money to people who build wells and do those things and then go and spread the gospel as they do so. But there's ways you can do it in your own life. There's one very simple way that I just say, well, what's a way that it can start to look at? I know several of you do this. Uh, Joanne and I have done this for years. We, we give money to Compassion International. If you've ever heard of Compassion, it's a Christian organization where you sponsor a child. And it's like $35 a month and you get to you that you get letters from the child. You get to send them to them. You get to see how you're being involved in their life is changing. And you get to speak to the injustice that's happening. You get to show mercy to someone that otherwise wouldn't have anything. And by a very small amount of money, you do that. And it's a wonderful way, no matter where you are, but especially when you have children. Uh, we do that often. We we have the pictures on our our uh, refrigerator. Uh, there's two boys, one, Abel in Nicaragua and Oward in Uganda, and we talk about them and we pray for them and our boys pray for them. And so we're teaching them what it looks like. And hopefully we're starting as small as that is just saying we want to help others and we want to do this and we want to be this way because this is the way God is. Not only is it the way God is, it's the way he's dealt with us. He's dealt mercifully through with us through Christ. And so we start to look for ways to do that. I want to challenge you with that to looking to just simple ways in which you can do that when you can speak up for people that don't speak for themselves, that you can do what Jesus says here. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. And when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And when I was sick or when I didn't have clothes, that's a very practical way you can do that. But I also want to encourage you not just uh, I do want to challenge you with that, but I also want to encourage you. You'll notice if you've been in this church for a long time, maybe some of you are new or you just started coming um, there's a really neat thing that's starting to happen, I think, even in this place. There's a diversity that's starting to happen here. You know, when we look around and we talk about it, I, I love that uh, you, you look around and you see some people with coat and ties. You see some people with jeans and T-shirts. You see some people who uh, are well along in years. 
uh, more mature in years, we'll say. And uh, the, those that are very young, we're starting to have more and more younger people. But not only that, there's, there's blue-collar workers, there's white-collar workers, there's those that are retired, there's those that have families, there's those that have lots of tattoos, there's those that have none. But, you know, what happens, what I see when I start to think about that is that's exactly who Jesus spent time with. People that didn't all look alike. They were all very different. And there was an equality in the way he dealt with people. So the more diverse our body becomes, the more we reflect who God is and the way he made us. And the way. So there's this wonderful, exciting thing. And I just say that to encourage you. That's really exciting when we have people from all different walks and different places and different things. Because the neat thing that happens and the reality is that we're all here together for one thing. And that's who Christ is and what he's done for us. So we have a unity that goes beyond any of those little surface things that don't really matter. And then that's when that equality begins to shine forth in the way we live together. So I just say that as a way to encourage you because that's a really exciting thing that I see happening even here. So as we talk about those, those are just a couple of ways. And we could go on and on. And I hope as we, as we do this and even next week as we, we end up this series <clears throat> that this sparks a lot of conversations on how we can do these things how we can do them together, how we can do them individually, how we can do them where we live. But so as we're, as we're moving to this last part, let's just summarize here. We have Jesus' perfect example of caring for all, addressing injustice and mercy wherever he goes and the way he deals with us. That he, We have his words of what it will look like when he welcomes his followers and what we're to be. And what you see is we're to be like that. We are to be helping and caring and looking for, for ways to do that. But that leads us to the last point, and this is so important. I say this every week, how important this idea is, but we have to make sure that our motivation is right. We need to understand what's the difference between verses 34 to 40, those that Christ will welcome and say, yes, you're you're my followers. Welcome into eternity. And in this very serious picture of 41 to 46, where he says, go, go away for eternity because you don't understand who I am. And I want to make sure we get that picture. You know, last week I talked about the importance of reading along the Bible, that is seeing the whole big picture of the Bible. We want to make sure that we're getting the big ideas, that we're not just pulling things out and not putting them in the scope of all Scripture. But we also want to read across the Bible. And what we mean by across the Bible, as I mentioned last week, is when we look at something like a passage like this about what it means to do justice and mercy, that we balance it with all of Scripture, what all of Scripture says about that. And so what I'm getting at, and I want the picture to be, if you just take this passage from verse 31 to 46 and you read it in isolation, it's very easy to then go, I need to do justice and mercy and I need to take care of the poor and the hungry and the sick and do these things or I won't be saved. If you just read this, that's what you could come to. And I want to make sure that we're, you, you hear me Loudly and clearly saying that is not how you're saved and that's not what the Bible teaches. You don't do these things and then earn your way into favor with God. That's not how it works. And that's not what it's saying here. You know, Jesus talked about these things and there's a seriousness all throughout Scripture that there will be evidence, marks of a changed life when you come into contact with Christ. And we should take that seriously. Scripture says that over and over. Hebrews 4 goes really hard into this. And what it says is when you understand who Jesus is, that he came and he lived the life that you couldn't live and he died the death that you deserved and he gave you all the benefits for free, your life should be changed. 
You should look differently when you understand that. And that doesn't mean you're going to do this perfectly. It doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. But what it does mean is your life will start to change. And that's what he's talking about here. And I want to balance what he says here with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 7, he says something very similar to here, but there's a little different twist. And I'm going to make sure we balance them. Matthew 7 says this, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your names? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is a hard thing to hear. And we want to make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying. I think what you get at. In Matthew 7, when you start to look at, they're going to say there's going to be some that think they're saved. I think you even see that picture somewhat in Matthew 25, because it says when he tells them, you didn't feed me, you didn't do anything. In uh, verse 44, they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? They even call him Lord. It seems like they have some relationship with who Christ is and they're thinking they're good. You see the same thing in Matthew 7. I want to make sure we see why that is in Matthew 7. What you get is the people saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? Didn't we do many works in your name? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. You never knew me. I never knew who you were. You don't understand who you're dealing with. And I think the heart of what Jesus is saying is if you think you can earn your way into heaven, you can earn your way into right relationship with God by what you do. You don't understand who God is or what it cost him in Christ to purchase our salvation. We can't do it. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. No matter all that you do, you can spend the rest of your life dealing with the poor and giving to them and doing all those things. But if you're not doing it for the right reason, you'll never be saved. And that's what what I want to make sure that we see. Because I want to excite you and encourage you and implore you to go out and help any and all people that you can in any way you can. But don't do it because you think you're going to earn some good favor with God. You do it Because of what God has already done for you. Because he saved you by no doing of your own. He did what you couldn't do for you. So when we talk about the right motivation that we must have, it has to be, it has to be out of gratitude for what he's done for us. I am changed because of how much he loves me. And I can't fathom it. I can't even understand that he would do that for me. And that changes you. And then you see people that are in such need and you so want them to understand who he is. It can't be the other way around. Because if it is, we've missed the whole thing. I said that last week. It's so important that we get that balance. Because if we don't, that's what happens. Churches become the social justice church. We become all about dealing with the poor and these things and we do all these works and all this great things and all those things are good and they're helpful, but they're for the wrong reasons. And so if we if we really believe what scripture says that then they don't please God because we're doing it to say, hey, look what we're doing. Hey, God, look at me. I'm trying to earn my way. And he's going what Jesus says in Matthew seven. You don't understand who I am. You don't understand how you come to me. And so it's so important that we have that balance. We have to understand always that our job as the church is to make disciples, to teach 
who Christ is and what he's done and what he's come for us. And then out of an overflow of understanding those things, all this other stuff happens. And it has to happen in that order. It doesn't work. Or it's just a sham. We're just trying to look good. We're trying to say, look at me, look what I'm doing. It's not out of gratitude, it's for works. And that goes against everything that Scripture says. So, next week we're going to spend a little more time on just some practical things and a few other elements of this. And and then we'll kind of end this up. But I want to make sure as we end today that we're just so clear that we see that all of this, the service, the caring for others, is simply out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Because it doesn't work any other way. God's not pleased with anything else other than that. So let's make sure as we go forth and we begin to do these things and we seek to do them, that that's always at the heart of everything we do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your incredible grace and mercy. We thank you that uh, you meet us in the midst of just all kinds of messed up. And uh, we thank you for that. We thank you that your mercy and your grace is new every morning that you do extend your mercy to us, that you are long-suffering and compassionate. We thank you that you showed us the most uh, beautiful picture of your mercy and your compassion ever on the cross when you came and you took our place, that you gave us as a free gift the benefits of your work. We thank you for that. We pray that that would always be central to who we are, to everything we do, that we find our identity in that. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.